0: Hello everybody, you're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 10, Six Nations Preview with Jake. big chillites and welcome to our six nation preview edition of the big chill podcast we are joined by special guest jake who is an expert in all things rugby and has come so prepared to blow your minds with his rugby knowledge so before we say hello to the normal boys i wanted to introduce jake and i've got some rapid fire icebreaker questions for him that i think are going to open them up to the audience so people can get a good feel for who's going to give them their rugby knowledge. So Jake, what is your most used emoji?
1: (laughs) Uh, Probably cry laughing.
0: All right. All right. Would you rather be able to fly or speak every language?
1: Fly.
2: All right. That kind of surprises me.
1: Well... If you could fly, you could just fly somewhere for a short amount of time and you wouldn't really get to learn the language, you'd be there for like two days.
3: Wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So you're just using it for holidaying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I no, mean, no, no. It depends how
1: fast you can fly, I guess. That's, no, but uh, that's really the
2: power of flight removes the need to interact
3: with other people. <laughs> I like how he said as well, like, it depends how fast. Like, if it was, like, 30 mile an hour, it would Maybe, be an yeah, expedient. No, it's, like,
1: Mary Poppins speed, it's fucking useless. But, <laughs> no, but if I could, like, uh, fair get across, around the world in a day. I, yeah.
0: I would say you can go the speed... Of like a very fast sprint. But so oh yeah, like twenty written? twenty to twenty twenty to thirty miles an hour max.
2: Wait, oh, that's languages. it?
1: Yeah.
0: How, thirty
2: yeah. miles
1: an hour. Where am I going? The shops.
2: Like... Also, also <laughs> then imagine flight if you got it to like if you drive, if you went up high <laughs> and you suddenly had a strong wind against you, you're basically yeah. implying that you wouldn't go anywhere. You'd just yeah. hover. You gotta play the wind. <laughs>
0: You've got to go low altitude.
2: You've got to go low altitude. I'm just more picturing my
1: answer then to languages. I'm just now more
2: (laughs) picturing Jake like flying to a different country, having someone just ask him a basic question that he can't understand, and he just flies off. (laughs) Just (laughs) excuse me, sir, but uh, where's the nearest pharmacy pointing at something, or just you
1: know, but from
2: 30,000 feet. He's like an anti-hero. Oh. He, he comes to like a spot and someone needs his
0: help, but he can't understand. So he just flies away.
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously the language thing would be nice, but I was just trying, if you could fly fast, all the advantages that would bring in your life would be, would far outweigh it, in my opinion. But if you can only move at a appointment speed, then definitely the language is.
2: Okay. All right, last
0: one. This is an Eddie favorite. If a movie was made of your life, who would play you uh, while well, you think well, i'll allow sam or eddie to chime in with who they think
2: could play you <laughs> oh tough actually no one no one immediately comes to mind
1: that's a very indictment <laughs> of my character i mean it's not he's so he's so unique no, no, no one's ever been able same, to I
2: tackle the. the... I'm, yeah i'm trying to balance you're a very complex human being you know so so it's it, it requires both a good actor but then uh, probably Bill like Murray. a Daniel Day-Lewis young, young Bill Murray young Bill Murray I, well like Caddy Shack I mean I'm not saying
1: I'm not actually comparing myself to Bill Murray
2: <laughs> that would be a good yeah like that, I'd be fine with that
0: by. a young Bill Murray okay I just watched Zombieland last week that's such a good cameo with him in it when you go to, yeah, when I go yeah. to his house and
2: then spoiler alert—they like shoot. Him. <laughs> it's so oh, good, wow. just ruined <laughs> another movie, Frank. <laughs> but speaking of, I guess, and I'm going to steal my segue is going to steal Sam's Thunder here a little bit. But one person who could no longer play Jake in the movie about his life is Dustin <laughs> Diamond. Who? Oh yeah,
3: I just saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin Diamond has I passed be away. As I
2: said this. Yeah, he's dead.
3: <laughs> so so gracefully <laughs> said. Have they oh, hired works. you for the eulogy? <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: can you tell? it's oh, the so You writer? laughing or the way you just
3: said that? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, died at the. I think he's forty four. Uh, yeah. Died of cancer, which is obviously very tragic. But um, it did get me thinking about the University of Surrey when we were all there, and um, he made a guest appearance. Uh, did you have any interactions with him, Jake? when he was there
1: no i was i was in the crowd when he appeared on stage and was incredibly weird to basically every woman in the room uh for about five minutes and then left
3: he used to do Which, porn uh well i think he
2: did a porn I
0: think. no 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 i'm um, actually this is something i had marked to to read to you guys he released a sex tape but then later revealed he was embarrassed and that it was actually a stunt double
2: and not him in the sexual scenes. (laughs) Which, okay, so, but okay. I mean, I met him, I said hello to him at the student union. That was the extent of our interaction. I had a drink and he had a drink and we said hello and I said, nice to meet you. And he had zero interest because the only thing he seemed to want to talk to were the female students. Although,
3: I guess not only the female students, right, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I went one better. So, Jake, you were looking up at uh, Dustin Diamond. Did you notice two guys walk up and kiss him on the cheek?
1: I'll be honest, I was pretty drunk. <laughs> You so,
3: won't remember, I understand. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went up on stage and kissed him. <laughs> so, what that's a nice claim. That? Yeah, I've kissed, I have kissed Dustin Diamond. <laughs> and Jake's watched... <laughs> and, Jake, and Jake has watched. And
2: Eddie. Yeah, maybe you gave him cancer, Sam. Don't think that's how it's transmitted. <laughs> <laughs> no one really knows. Yeah.
3: Uh, but yeah, that uh, was
2: a weird period. I always found that odd when we had these kind of weirds. I will say the thing about Dustin Diamond. When you said his age, it both seems surprisingly old and surprisingly young to me.
3: Yeah. What surprised me is that Saved by the Bell was only on for four seasons, 1989 to 1993. So not only did it feel later than that, but it felt longer than that. It's it's coming back, you know. They've got the reboot. Who's playing Screech?
0: No, it's not a reboot. It's like a later years one, I think. Okay, so they're
3: still in it. Wait, later Uh, years? So it's like a retirement home. (laughs)
0: No, like they're the teachers now, I think. uh,
1: What's his face? A.C. Slater, like the principal now or something like that.
0: Yeah, something like that. Who is the best character on Saved by the Bell?
2: Zach.
3: I'd actually say Mr. Belding. (laughs) The head teacher. Because he was just... He was an authority figure. No, but he wasn't. He was barely an authority figure. (laughs) He let these children run rampant over his school. (laughs) Uh, like I'm, Mr. he was a bit of a dad joke kind of guy. I thought that was kind of fun. It was yeah, really sure sad stuff. You just
2: wish he'd be. He wanted him to be a bit stricter with you. Everyone <laughs> F- acts out that scene. <laughs> yeah, but uh, now here's the interesting thing because I've I, in the past we we spoke about how we took when went down to the, the, the like internet rabbit hole with the Superman theories one of the more interesting shows to actually go down the internet rabbit hole with is saved by the bell because of Zach's ability to stop time. Like when he stops time to give the monologues yeah, and like everything around him freezes, you can go on these weird like Reddit threads or Uh, articles discussing what the theory is behind whether he has magical powers if he's an alien if he's actually just dreaming the entire thing like if it's all just a complete sort of completely in his mind the entire time it's really fascinating to read about is it I I, I mean isn't (laughs) isn't it just a television show I mean, look, I'm not saying dedicate your life to solving the problem. I just, it's just one of those things you can legitimately spend half an hour reading about something you'd never thought you'd read about.
3: Isn't Slater, like, when he did the show, wasn't he really old anyway? Wasn't he, like, late 20s or something like that, like early 30s when he actually did the show, which would make him, like, in his 50s now or something? Don't think so. They all dated each other, so...
2: He's 47 now. Oh. Yeah, so...
1: That was the case in like Beverly Hills, nine hundred two one zero, is that they were all way older than they were playing. But I think the people in Saved by the Bell were roughly the age.
3: So when they dated each other, did they date each other like both? Because I know there was the the kind of what is it, Jesse and Slater had a little thing. Um, a Kelly,
1: estimating our knowledge, I think of Saved
3: by the Bell. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually it's and all going back to me. Stars, Jake, this is. <laughs>
2: This is what you have to do. You have to overestimate your knowledge on everything. This is what the people come for. They don't come for people to go, I don't know a lot about that. They want total confidence in every word that you say.
0: Yeah. No, they actually had to follow what was happening on the show. So in their real life relationships, they just had to eventually just randomly break it off if something happened in the show and they had to switch. And that's kind of what happened with Jesse and Zach, who dated briefly before AC, Slater, and Jesse got back together.
2: Weird show in terms of the, tra- the career trajectory of all of the cast, like relatively small set of people, right? But they've all gone to a, like very different things and very different levels of success. And none of those are very high. <laughs> Who had the highest success? Elizabeth Berkeley,
0: because she was in that semi-pornographic movie. Oh,
3: um, what's
0: it show? Showgirls. Showgirls. So, <laughs> so, yeah. um... Thank you, Jake.
1: <laughs> no,
0: oh, I get somewhere. it, Jake. I see
3: the poster on the back of your wall. <laughs> you. <laughs> no, it's,
1: um, he's, it I keep forgetting his real name. He's like a- Mario modern, Lopez. Mario Lopez is a moderately successful TV presenter, right? Like daytime. Yeah, he's Every time done. I've never been to America. I see him, like, presenting something.
2: Yeah. I would say that Mark Paul- Gosselar, or however you say his last name, has been the most successful. He's been in some decent movies. He had Franklin and Bash. That was like kind of popular for a little bit. He's on a CSI or something, isn't he? I don't even know. He's (laughs) on one of those,
0: like NCIS or one of those.
2: He, yeah. But I mean, he's had some decent, and like his immediate future after that in terms of some of the movies he was in. Like Dead Man on Campus was a pretty good movie. Oh, that is a good movie. I forgot all
0: about that movie. That was I pretty never good. Seen
3: it. Is it is it as obvious as it sounds about like a university campus and like a horror the plot film? Of, or... The plot of the movie, I, I might mix
2: this up, but he's failing college. And I think the rule, there's some rule that you get, like you automatically pass all of your exams if your roommate dies, I think he figures out this loophole. And so then he goes about trying to, I think, put like plant a dead body or whatever in his, I can't remember whether he's trying to, I think he tries to move in with some suicidal people or something. I can't remember exactly the plot and I might be doing it a total disservice, but the fundamental premise is he needs his roommate to die and then he's going to be able to pass.
0: Yeah, that's basically it. He did a pretty good job.
2: I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since like two thousand three. So I'm reasonably happy with my ability to retain that. There's those are brain cells being used for useful information. <laughs> but I guess this does mean we can move on to the reason why Jake is here, which is because the Six Nations is kicking off this weekend. So not yeah. the most exciting slate of matches for the first round, I suppose. But uh... well,
1: there's a Calcutta Cup, which should, I mean. My concern this year off the bat is the lack of crowds is going to make it quite a flat affair because um, a lot of, particularly as a lot of the teams are going to be very rusty and buy a lot of time together um, various coaching injury issues. I think a lot of teams are going to take quite a conservative approach to their games. you know I mean obviously it's a winter tournament so they tend to you know play more for territory uh, than certainly something you might see in like the um, rugby championship between the Southern Hemisphere nations. Um, but yeah, I think particularly this year, it's going to be, uh, everyone's going to play to not lose first.
2: For our list, some of our listeners who I guess will come not, have no idea what we're speaking about at this point. So the Six Nations obviously is a rugby union, annual rugby union tournament that takes place where uh, compete, the com- competitors are France, England, Scotland, Ireland, Italy, and Wales. They each play each other once and then they alternate year after year as to whether you play them home or away. Um England are the reigning champions. The last year, Six Nations was heavily disrupted because it was taking place right as the pandemic set in. So it was started in February and finished in September. Was that when it finished?
1: Yeah, right before the Autumn Nations Cup. England played their final game against Italy um, and were crowned champions, but were not Grand Slam champions. A bit of a um, bust year in terms of... No no, no one will really look back on it, particularly. Grand Slams are the things that people... Uh, Want,
2: and obviously for for us an interesting landmark because the last time we all saw each other then excluding frank from this conversation but myself jake Jake and sam was (laughs) you can you can leave now you can (laughs) was the uh, weekend that the last six nations kicked off and we went to watch uh france play england at the Stade de France, which was England's defeat in the Six Nations tournament that prevented them from having the Grand Slam. So, this is kind of the one year anniversary of life stopping to
3: like when life stopped looking normal.
0: Yeah. Was that crazy. back in February? Yeah. 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 Super, Bowl Super Bowl weekend. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I remember that because the losing bonus point that England got at the end of that game proved pretty valuable. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and that was a depressing day for me because we went to the Stade de France, watch England lose in the rugby, and then went to watch the Super Bowl and watch the Super Niners. The Super Niners, the Niners losing, they're, the they're not very super. <laughs> no. Niners
3: Nation is going up a level. Yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly.
2: But uh, so that was that wasn't an ideal uh, sort of twelve hours for me.
3: And you got coronavirus. <laughs>
2: no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, And I guess you can't get it if you don't believe in it. True, Sam's (laughs) never at it. But the um, and I guess from a from a betting perspective, before we start like taking a closer look at the matches and who we think will win. Uh, England are favorites. They are even money favorites at the moment. France are second favorites at five to two. Ireland are third favorites at seven to two. Then you have Wales at 14 to one. Scotland at 22 to one. And if you are very brave or I guess a very patriotic Italian, you can back them at 750 to one, which
3: actually seems terrible value, I have to say. (laughs) um... They could be 5,000 to one and it's not a, you would never, you still wouldn't do it. No, but in order to even convince me that it it was worth
2: knowing that they would lose, but it was somehow worthwhile just for the sake of it, that it might be somewhat amusing. They'd have to be a lot bigger than 750 to one before I'd even consider it. That's like the quote in the office. (laughs) <laughs> when, when he goes, if
0: anyone ever gives you 10,000 to one odds, you take it. If John Cougar Mellencamp ever wins an
2: Oscar, I'm going to be a very rich man. <laughs> That's what Kevin says. <laughs> you'd, actually, you'd actually like it, uh, Frank. I'm in the process of trying to negotiate something with my boss. And uh, this morning he tried to, he, we, were, we had a meeting scheduled to discuss it at, uh, at four this afternoon. And this morning he messaged me asking me to just send him the information there then. And I joked with one of my colleagues. It's like he's gone to the Michael Scott School yep. of negotiation and at the last the power, minute. He's, he's
0: gonna try and power move you. Yeah. Change, he's changing the time and location. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Refuse to speak first.
0: <laughs> just two staring at each other.
2: Um, no, I mean, honestly, it feels like that sometimes with him but uh it's and then for more context for listeners who may not be familiar with rugby it is a little bit interesting to me that england are as big as even money considering they are
1: yeah i thought that i i mean i would i guess i would make them favorites but not by much i think it wouldn't shock me at all if france was to win this tournament i think they've been improving massively i mean obviously we sat there in the rain and watched them frustrate england for 80 minutes last year um and they're only really going to have got better in defence with Sean Edwards sort of at the helm for a long time now. or well, not fully at the helm, he's a defence coach, but he's clearly had a massive impact in how good they've been at stifling teams. France have always had talented individuals, but they've really struggled to sort of gel as 15. Um, you know, just game to game. Like, it's, I mean, it's a very French cliche, but you never know which team's going to turn up. But more recently, they've been very consistent in um, actually having some sort of structure and game plan. Uh, the thing the thing that still lets them down is their fitness because of the the French uh, league is very physical and play at quite a slow pace. So they have basically massive forwards who really struggle with the pace of the international game. So they tend to do really well for about 60 minutes and then just utterly fall apart because they uh, run out of energy. And even with substitutes, um, you'll have quite a few substitutes in rugby. They still, therefore, seem to really tire out and cost them a lot of games in the sort of the final twenty to fifteen minutes.
3: So, just out of interest, Jake, the England France top two, they played in the final of the Autumn International Cup, and that was, it was, it was a classic as people called it, just more because of the how long it went on for yeah, and the kind of longevity of it. Do you think that because they played with so few of their starters, that does that surprise you that England are favourites as well, or does that well, matter because- as much?
1: I mean, that's the problem with France is because it wasn't the team, you. if everyone was fit, that was not the team that would play. And then is it, you know, did, did the people who aren't sort of guaranteed starters play out of their skins trying to earn a place in the regular 15? You, you know, it's difficult to read sort of certain conclusions in, into it because you don't know who of who played that day, who is definitely going to make the starting line-up for the tournament. Now, obviously, every team has injuries all the time. As well as the things of rugby, it's very rare to truly have your strongest 15 out for sort of more than it, a game or two in a row that someone gets a knock. So there's that to it. And also I think that Autumn Nations final was, again, represented the progress I was referring to um, in terms of their structure and their improved uh, playing style, uh, you know, a lot more sort of focused attack. So I think it's definitely a marker that that's why I said you know, I would make France sort of close second favorites to England. I think the other
3: teams, we can, I mean we can go through the teams one by one, but I think the other teams have bigger issues
1: than France to worry about, uh, so that's why they're probably longer odds. Um, but, I mean England themselves, also the thing about England being even favourites is odd because they also have had quite a few key withdrawals over the last week or
2: so. so. Also England's, England's preparation is slightly disrupted in that normally Eddie Jones, the England uh, coach, likes to have a very large number of players involved in the training and preparation so that they play full 15 on 15 uh, sort of matches and and drills in the build-up. And then obviously because of uh, the COVID sort of restrictions, it's limiting the squad size. So not able to necessarily prepare in the way that they normally would do for a set of fixtures.
1: Yeah, so normally he, basically like a week before a game, he'll take a squad of 34 and train with them and pretty quickly knock that down to 32. And then sort of a few days before the game, he'll then take the 24 that's gonna make up his match day squads plus one, I think, and reserve, because it's normally a match day 23. Um, so yeah, but this, now he's agreed to basically keep 28 players. So technically he's gonna have more in the build-up to the game, but a lower pool the whole time of players who are available, because one of the conditions is that he has to minimize movement in and out of the camp. So they're going to be bubbling for the better part of two months with these 28 players and he's going to be able to refresh the squads if if people are sort of off form or flagging. So he has to. I mean, obviously, injuries, particularly in like positions where there's a question of safety, like the front row, it'll be allowed to make changes. But overall, it's going to be like a people are going to have to play more minutes than they might might have in normal years, which you know, attrition is a massive part of the six nations and Traditionally, England have always been able to call on sort of a better second string. That's been one of the key strengths for them. It's not only, to, not only do they have one of the strongest starting 15s, but the people they can bring off the bench are nearly of the same quality. Whereas, That's,
2: so, that's also a big Eddie Jones thing, right? That he likes to think of his substitutes as sort of game changers, like his impact we, players.
1: Yeah, he doesn't call them substitutes. He calls them finishers. is his yeah. um, big thing he always says to the press. Because so, he, he loves yeah. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> No, but effectively that is, you know, he, he'll have a, a you know, a strong starting 15 will work hard for 60 minutes. And then the, when the big guys are tired, he'll just bring on a fresh set of big guys to finish pulverizing the opposition. And it is, you know, incredibly effective.
2: I think it's also probably a psychological thing too, for the players themselves, right? Cause you're, you're getting, you're no longer being classed as like the backups or the players who weren't good enough to make the starting 15. And you're now being rebranded as kind of having a really useful role.
1: Sure. And even for the people on the pitch, assuming there's, I mean, they're all conditioned to be able to play 80 minutes. That's not, you know, people talk about reducing the number of substitutes in rugby to help with player welfare. But the reality is most players would expect to play 80 minutes. But if you are confident that you are basically going to come off after the sort of 55, 60 minute mark, you know, you can go to for level for an hour and not pace yourself and then they'll just bring you replace you and they'll be happy that you've worn yourself out rather than annoyed at you for sort of not, you know, maintaining a bit of energy reserve.
3: Do you think those COVID protocols then the squad size, like that affects everyone, right? Are England Uh, the team that are affected the most or?
1: Yeah, because I think this agreement is specifically with premiership rugby because they're desperate to keep the club season going. So this is between the RFU and the premiership is one of the problems England have is that there isn't a central agreement on how players who play for the national team are treated. Whereas like Ireland, the players are essentially contracted. So they have a much easier time getting the squad that they want together and keeping them together for the whole period of the tournament. It sort of helps. Isle- the Irish clubs are sort of more relaxed about it as well, because frankly, they massively dominate the Celtic League. like um, So they can afford to let their players go for a bit longer, whereas the premiership is probably a bit more competitive. Like every game is a potential loss, whereas Leinster can put out a second string and still stuff an Italian team.
2: You say that, Jake, but I had to sweat out Munster playing against an Italian team this weekend, which was a thrilling ending for anyone who watched <laughs> it, where Munster kicked a drop goal in yep. the 83rd minute yep. to win against a team that hadn't won at home since 2019. So that was that was a surprise for the books. Yeah, but generally, yeah. I,
1: again, I think this year is unusual because of the sort of ring restiness of everyone. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, islands have an easier time getting hold of their
2: players. Speaking of uh, ring rustiness, Sam, who who's, who are you picking to win? <laughs> Do
3: you actually want my prediction here, or are you just making a joke and wanted to continue it? Both. Go ahead. Okay, pick your, who, <laughs> who column A, column way. B. Um, remind me, so the home games that England have this time round, are they the advantageous ones against Ireland and France? Like France is at Twickenham. No, Fran- but is- France is at Twickenham,
1: Scotland's at Twickenham, and Italy's at Twickenham. This is the year where they have to go to Dublin and to Cardiff, which, uh, okay. again, with crowds, would be a big factor. So that may work in England's favour. I know I talked earlier about it being sort of maybe potentially slightly flat affair with sort of a lack of intent. I don't think they would lack intensity in their professional players, but... will definitely lose a certain maybe like the sort of top sort of five percent of the the atmosphere will be gone in terms of on the pitch and their performance but i think that could be a benefit to england if they get to play in a nice quiet principality stadium or the stadium next door um you know without sort of seventy thousand welsh people booing them every opportunity
2: and interesting to note too um Sam, maybe before you make your predictions. So, you England are even money to win the Six Nations. You can get them at two to one to win the Grand Slam, six to five to win the Triple Crown. So, that's to beat everyone bar uh, Italy and, and France. Um, so, whereas you could get France six to one to win the Grand Slam, and Ireland 11 to one to win the Grand Slam, and nine to one to win the Triple
3: Crown. I mean, two years ago was the crazy draw, wasn't it? Between England and Scotland, Um, where they just came back and it was absolutely crazy. But I'll probably go with England. Um, Give us your
2: full, as it's only six teams, give us the finishing order of all six. See how accurate
3: you can be. Wow. Okay. So I'd probably go England, France. Yeah. England, France, Ireland, Ireland, wales scotland italy but scotland are pretty i think scotland are fairly decent at the moment and wales are clearly in a massive transformation so potentially if there's going to be like obviously ireland and france may interchange england may as well the top three but i think i think scotland may be a little bit more surprising this year um i'm in two minds
1: but scotland particularly obviously they always raise a game against england that's a given um and i've been researching this there's a lot of articles about you know positive vibes coming out of Scotland camp but they sort of have to say that so it's kind of you know I don't know how much you want to read into them saying yeah we feel good because they can't really say we feel shit so um, they they have sort of the opposite when I was referring to England's sort of strength in depth Scotland have um, a real problem with that in that they can often put together at any one time they've got you know, four or five really top quality players, but the rest of the squad is normally just good and sort of gets, you know, into the sort of tough part of a game and sort of the people coming off from the bench are definitely worse than the people or generally worse than the people they're replacing. I mean, they, maybe they offer something different tactically, but on the whole, Scotland will always start, start with their strongest 15 and not finish with an equally strong 15 on the pitch.
2: So are you in in agreement with Sam's predictions, Jake? Uh, I might. I could see, I mean, you, you've got to look at Scotland in the
1: context of the other teams. So, I mean, I'd, I'd say obviously Italy nailed on for the wooden spoon, so sixth place. I mean, there's been very few years where they haven't finished. Um, I think, yeah, England and France for the top two. I'd slightly shade England, but, you know, they've got, they've had some withdrawals which weaken their squads, but I still think they've got enough depth otherwise to cover for that um and then i think wales are in for another rough year so wayne pivac is the new coach he came in after warren gatland and it's one of those things like never be the man who follows the man because you wales had unprecedented success under gatland and certain people are now accusing him of leaning on the same group of players for too long and not really blooding anyone else and that is probably true to an extent in that they are still clinging on to some of these sort of old war horses like adam jones has been a brilliant player for wales but he's now like, I mean, he's not going to make the next World Cup. So it sort of reaches the point where you say, should we just be looking at younger people and even if they have a rough couple of years, give them the experience and then see if they can pull it together? The counter to that is, was Gatlin leaning on those players because he didn't think anything of the sort of next batch coming through? You know, did they have a golden generation and now staring down the barrel of having, you know, qu- they will always have quality players. They've got Josh Navidi, who's an excellent flanker. Um, Johnson Davies is one of the best centers in the world, for sure. Um, but like George North looks like a shadow of the player he used to be. He used to be, he used to got like scoring or making significant ground every time he got the ball. And sort of between the concussions and the other injuries, he just, I don't know, he just never seemed that much of a threat anymore.
3: Uh, a, key theme, a, key, now, but. a key theme of the Big Chill podcast, really, concussions. Yeah. <laughs> something we um, dabble in a lot. Concussions and frailty. I mean, we have to... Jake- Jake-
2: we have to talk about concussions a lot because one of our hosts suffers from CTE. So like <laughs> it, has to, it has to be a regular theme.
0: Jake, my question was going to be, can England get the Grand Slam?
1: Yeah. See, so I last year, I mean, I should have pretty written it down somewhere or told you properly, but I predicted no Grand Slam last year because I thought all the teams were sort of in transition or England were sort of still licking their wounds from that World Cup defeat. Um, but this year, I think, in basically, it will be England-France as the grand slam decider. I think, I think it will be a grand slam this year between one of those two. I don't think the other teams, for, for all England's and France's injury problems and other disruptions, the other teams are suffering nearly as badly with stuff like that. And I think those two will have enough to carry them over against the other four teams so i think you're looking at england v france as your grand slam decider.
2: which is for context for people listening is the second to last match so england play france at twickenham on the 13th of march which is the fourth week of the five sets of fixtures and then each of them would finish england would finish in ireland and france finish at home against wales
0: is that all random how they pick the matches
2: like what week they play in in the week they play i think the week they play is random i believe
0: because i'm just thinking like would it be neater i mean obviously you can't predict who's going to win the matches but to take the like pre-tournament one and two and make them the last match of the week thinking it would decide it so make france england be like the last week right to have the most
2: weight yeah i don't
1: Possibly, but then it always ends up with one of the favourites playing Italy on the last weekend, and that then just becomes how many points can they put on Italy to in- improve their points difference, which is sort of entertaining sometimes, but it's also a bit anticlimactic, particularly if Italy decide to just fold after 30 minutes.
2: Although I guess this year, at least from the odds perspective, they've kind of dodged that because it's Scotland-Italy in the final week. So you, you, there, there, you is a scenario, <laughs> there is a scenario in which... Ireland, England, Wales, and France could all go into that final week with a chance of winning the Six Nations, and are all playing. Unlikely that all four teams are involved, but but uh, I mean,
3: that's
1: that's the thing about it being a five-game tournament is that you could make these predictions about order, but one game can go differently, and it's a very fine line between basically finishing second and finishing fourth. Like the you know fifth and sixth tend to be away off the other teams, but unless you get a Grand Slam winner, the other four teams will finish the tournament fairly close to each other. It'll just be a case of who's had their hardest games already.
2: Yeah, I mean, and for example, if you had any confidence in Ireland or any confidence in Wales, your confidence could basically be proven wrong in the first week. Because whichever one of those loses in the opening match, they've probably removed themselves from the running to win the Six Nations. Not not for certain, but they then need to run the table fundamentally.
1: And hope that somebody else has a slip up, um, yeah. Quite a bad slip up, you know, not just.
0: Yeah. Um, if if you had crowds, would Ireland away be a potential trap game? For sure.
1: I, I still, it's. I mean, it still will be. It won't be a walkover for England. Probably they put they put in some good performances in Dublin in the recent past, but you never sort of take it for granted. Don't be accused of typical English arrogance, as the sort of Celtic fans love to say. But I think without a crowd, England can feel reasonably. Compl- they, they've they've had the measure of Ireland recently. That's not to say the Irish won't play well all of a sudden, but they are similar to uh, Wales in that they had they've got. I mean, they've probably got more quality players at the moment than Wales, but some of them are injured or um, older. Like Johnny Sexton is, has been an excellent fly half, but he's thirty five. Um, he's still playing well now but again it's a similar thing to Alan Wynne-Jones where he is probably not going to the next World Cup so at what point do you say thanks for your service you've been excellent but we really need to give someone else sort of get them comfortable before we go to a major tournament because you can't you know if he, he carries on for I mean I can imagine him carrying on for like another year or two and then maybe that will be enough to get another fly half settled in um, fly half I guess for sort of um, Novices, I guess the most equivalent position in the NFL would be quarterback in terms of the importance it has to the attack. Although it's a bit more, they're also effectively the punter most of the time as well and the goal kicker. Um, but yeah, he's 35. Ty Furlong is another key player for them. He's one of the best props in the world. He has not played for Ireland every year due to a variety of injuries. Um, so He's, been, he's, in, he's in the squad, but I're not even sure if he'll start the first game. Um, I, you'll definitely see him because he's too good not to play essentially, but again, a fit him would make a big difference versus someone who's still going to be sort of, you know really struggling for breath probably after like 50 minutes because I think compared to say like um, soccer, rugby is still at the point where international is still definitely the pinnacle and the intensity of the games is streets ahead of the club game. Whereas, frankly, the Champions League is a tough tournament to win than, um, like, the Euros in uh, soccer.
2: Yeah, and some of that will be financial too, right? From a player's perspective, which is that they'll... An England player, I believe, from my understanding, you, you, you get paid £20,000 per match if you appear, is my yeah. understanding. But you only get, But you only get paid if you actually play so the, it drives competitiveness obviously within the squad that you need to to actually be part of the squad but uh and also for them, that means if you play five matches over the course of the next few months, that's a sizable chunk of money for players who are not earning millions upon millions of pounds yeah that that must be nice to be a
0: finisher then I only have to come in for the last twenty and make your money. <laughs>
1: Yeah, England being even money is odd to me, given, like I say, the, the, I mean, we could talk about some of the people out. You've got Joe Laundry, who's been excellent this last sort of 12 months. He's got a fracture in his leg, so he basically won't feature realistically, maybe towards the end of the tournament. Sam Underhill has pulled out with a hip injury. He's been one of England's better players for the last two years. Uh, his work sort of in defence often turns... He just produces turnovers with his massive hits. I mean remember watching the England-Australia game in the World Cup with uh, Sam and uh, when he just basically, even the commentator said he just atomised someone who was running at him. <laughs> and then from that, England won a turnover and scored what was probably the decisive try in terms of killing the game off. Um, Joe Marler is probably one of the guys who wouldn't make the next World Cup anyway, but he, he was selected in the 28, but then decided he couldn't be away from his family for sort of the better part of two months, so withdrew, which I think is fair enough. He... He's sort of spoke, spoken quite openly in the past about some of his sort of mental health struggles, um, so I think he thought, realistically, he didn't want to do it to his family, and I don't think he felt he could be away from them for that long, because obviously under normal circumstances they go to the hotel for a few days before the game, and they'd be in camp, but he'd be able to see them, probably his family, you know, once or twice a week. Um, Carl Sinclair has established himself as a regular in England squad, but he's banned for the first game at least for swearing at a referee in a Bristol game. Um, so he... Then he may not get back in the squad because of this whole movement in and out thing. So even though, again, in a normal year, he'd miss the first game, come straight back into the squad, they may see how they get on without him because they're not supposed to be bringing players in sort of for small... You know, being banned is not the same as, like, having someone injured. Um... So, and Mako Vodopola is out for at least the first game as well. So England are actually a little bit light in, up front. They've still got Jamie George, who's been pretty consistent, but they're going to be starting with Ellis Genge, who, again, has only really started one test in the Six Nations, I think. And he's put in some good performances for England, and he's very dynamic for, like, a massive guy. Um, you know, really moves around while carries the ball, but he's also got an incredibly hot temper, which could be a liability. And if you know if another team was smart, they'd immediately start working on him from like minute one to try and provoke a reaction. I mean, he got away with a bit of a headbutt in the Autumn Nations Cup. Um, he probably should have been cited for that, but wasn't. Didn't receive a ban somehow.
2: The, the big miss for England there are going to be MacAvinappello's earlobes. <laughs> Those are impossible it to is. replace.
1: I love when watching rugby with somebody who doesn't watch a lot of rugby, asking him to guess Macavonopola's age because he looks 20 years older than he is. I mean, he's younger than us.
2: Yeah, no, he looks, I think if you met him
3: under normal circumstances, you would put him in at least 45. I would late forties, maybe even pushing an early fifty. It it's pretty weird, actually. And it's just the sheer volume of hits he's taken. And he, oh, <laughs> I mean, he's looked, he's looked as old for
2: for years too. So even when he was twenty five, twenty six, I think you would have put him at forty five. Also, this
1: Billy is only like two or three years younger and doesn't look anywhere near as old. And they they both play professional rugby at the same level for the same club. So hard take around, I guess. I mean. I mean, on, on to the Verde as well, sort of also brings us on to Saracens. think like, that's the other reason it's really odd for England, because who knows how the Saracens players are going to be? You know, they, um, they got, again, a bit more context for people who don't follow rugby. Saracens were like the leading club in England, but the Premiership has a salary cap, and they were found to be in breach of that repeatedly by sort of arranging other investment schemes for their players. Uh, so they were given a huge point deduction and relegated from the Premiership. So now Saracens have to play a bunch of semi-professional teams. For the, I mean, the season's barely kicked off anyway, but they're going to be playing semi-professional teams all year, and for the most part, probably hammering them. They actually lost a Walmart friendly against Trail Trailfinders, but you would expect over the course of the season for them to dominate that league to sort of an embarrassing extent. I mean, there's talk of gate. Uh, gating off the premiership because there's such a gap between the sort of 12, basically there's 13 pre- fully professional teams and it's a 12 team league so what happens is one every year one team goes down and comes straight back up pretty much without fail and they just beat up on the, all the semi-professional teams for a year and it's kind of pointless so they're yeah. sort of wondering about just making the professional game completely separate and then the the semi-pro stuff can just carry on as like the pinnacle of the non-professional game
3: so a lot of people uh, considering where i'm from i I get the argument a lot is exeter is probably the example of not having that because exeter were in that league they got promoted and now look at them i mean the saracen thing aside, they were dominating with them now they're dominating well it's a little bit more competitive this year i'm
1: not necessarily in favor of the idea i'm just saying that's why i mean but then even that it's very it's a very risky gambit i mean Exeter probably got did it the right way in terms of it was gradual organic growth but it's very difficult to see how another team will do it without just like a sugar daddy to just like bankroll them to a silly degree because most most premiership rugby clubs are loss making they're just bankrolled by like a dedicated owner and that's part of what the Sado cap's about—is to stop it getting out of hand, like it did in France, or has been in France.
0: Well, Sam, really why would your eyes name? light up, Sam, when he said "sugar daddy"? I <laughs> well, didn't
3: expect—I literally... didn't expect the um, the reference to come in. <laughs> so <laughs> to hear Jake talk about a sugar daddy was a little bit disarming. <laughs> I must admit. But
2: I mean, they—they they literally in France you have had. Uh, sugar daddies in the case of Stade Francais with their owner who, uh, uh not, you, <laughs>
3: no, 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 but honestly, you, sugar daddy.
2: I mean, uh, he has had very, a history of very odd. Um, I mean, I've, I've known a few Stade Francais players over the time of being in Paris and, uh, the stories that they tell you about in, in interactions with the owner are, are bizarre in terms of him inviting them over to his house and he comes into the showers and stuff a lot with them. Um, the interactions are are pretty strange. He doesn't allow wives to attend team events, but only because he just likes it, just being the all the all the kind of poise there. Um, and he's also one of the big pushers behind uh, that calendar that comes out of the French rugby of the of the rugby players. <laughs> I mean, he is he is, uh, and that's part of one of one of the things. <laughs> he's actually the photographer they also attract a lot of players because his idea is you you can sign for them and then he'll put you in the calendar and the calendar you get paid to be in the calendar actually makes you a decent amount of money
3: has he invited (laughs) vast to one of these parties no (laughs) scarlett johansson it it doesn't sound like she would get an invite at these parties well, you say this, and I will. We can come
2: back onto the Six Nations, but I mean, it must have been a sad weekend for Vasilis, because I don't know if you saw in the news, but the police broke up a French warehouse that was having an orgy with a hundred hundred people in it. That was breaking, uh, breaking. <laughs> what? Wait, was he there? Have you COVID. heard from him? Has I, he? Are you sure he wasn't there? Uh, I'm I'm fairly certain that he wasn't there. Yeah, but it was a it was a libertine party, so like a swingers party, I suppose, in uh in a warehouse in Paris.
0: Where is this warehouse?
2: Uh, it's in a suburb.
0: Uh, a suburb where someone we know lives? No. <laughs> Uh. You've
3: been very shy on the details, Eddie. Were you there?
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I stuck out first. I, I I heard the police coming. I tipped actually. Uh, once I left, I decided I'll ruin the rest of this event for the rest of them. yeah. I, I've
3: had a good time. You know what? Screw them. Call the police. <laughs>
2: yeah. But and I guess if we're talking about social lives uh, impacting the rest of your life, which it obviously has for those people, I thought Jake and the rest of you get. Obviously, Finn Russell is coming back into the Scotland team. Yeah. Uh, the fly half who plays in France. So perhaps he was there. Um, he was ex was sort of missed the last six nations because of uh, breaching uh, protocols, team, team protocols, team protocols. Yeah. Which are, are the are story COVID
0: I, protocols or
2: <laughs> no, this was no, pre-COVID. This was, yeah, gotcha. Was
1: drinking in a hotel bar and wouldn't stop something. Basically his, <laughs>
2: his, his story of it is that they, played the match went to the hotel and had two he had two beers with dinner and then wanted to have another beer and when he went to order the beer he was told no more beers by who by the players and the staff and they said that the senior members of the players the senior players senior members of the squad (laughs) had had a meeting and discussed that there would be no drinking after the dinner that it was supposed to stop then and he said he was a senior member of the squad and hadn't been involved in the discussion because they'd had it before he'd arrived which basically makes it sound like they knew that finn russell potentially had a propensity to drink too much and decided collectively that they would make sure that this didn't happen by having everyone stop at the same time this is what it sounds like he got well, real quick very... wait wait
0: wait wait before you finish just to clarify so they're not having like a match the next day or anything right
2: no, this is a Saturday, so he's, he's right. A week, so like a week, nothing's going on. Yeah, okay. But he yeah, but you still
1: got training and debriefs and stuff. He got to show up
2: for. Yeah, so he supposedly got upset, and then called his parents and had his parents pick him up from the hotel, and so he left the hotel and then subsequently missed uh, the team meeting that was at nine o'clock the next morning, and for that reason, he was then removed from the squad. Um, but it is quite interesting to hear him talk about it because he said his reason. He said, I'm part of the leaders group, but they'd had a meeting before I got there and, and not, I'd not had a say for me straight away. It was set up pretty poorly. It refreshed all the memories about the environment. I've just played a game my 13th in a row flown straight up and it's the exact same. It's not about the beer. Although again, it's not about the drink. It's about the whole environment. (laughs) He was really driving it home. He was gone to see a psychologist at the behest of the Scotland coach, um, who he said that the psychologist understood what I was saying about me going out once a week after a game. He said, you're not up, you're not on the front pages of the newspapers. You're not overweight. You're performing well. He didn't say that I had an issue. So I love it, that
0: move, like saying what? what the psychiatrist said, because obviously the psychiatrist can't ever come out and say what they're saying. Yeah. So it's like, no, this is what the psychiatrist said.
2: But also, I think too, anyway, right? The role, depending on the psych- like the style of the psychiatrist anyway might be in the moment to reassure you to try and get your opinion on the topic anyway so it's not like the secretary saying like, yeah it, does, it sounds like you don't have a problem it doesn't well, mean that he yeah, isn't thinking you got a problem get your
1: guard down yeah yeah hoping you come to the realization yourself by letting you talk it out exactly than, not just yeah. confront them with it because that's not really how you
2: get yes not knowledge. not be like <laughs> and i wanted to have a third beer you're an alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: no, but Finn, yeah, Finn Russell is an interesting player because obviously he, on his day he's excellent and can, you know, he, he can turn a game single handedly as he almost did he against England a couple of years ago at Twickenham. So that was the Finn Russell show. But on other days he sort of throws those ambitious wide passes and they're just, you can sort of see the interception coming before it's even left his hands. Um, interceptions in rugby look pretty much like the ones in NFL in the NFL where some of them you just like, oh, it's a bit unlucky. It's like a, you know, a bobble or it comes off someone or someone gets hit as they pass, but others, you just think, oh, this pass has taken about six years to travel 20 feet to the right. And sure enough, some absolute flying winger has just run onto it and is now sprinting up the other end of the pitch and under the posts. Uh, And he's capable of delivering those for sure. I mean, I guess in fairness to him, he plays the risky pass because it's to tempt the defenders out. And then if it gets to the Scottish man, the Scottish man is in acres of space because the defenders dog-legged to try and intercept. So it's, it's playing a dangerous game. But I guess when you are not, when you're sort of lacking power up front as Scotland are, this is the kind of game you have to play, really. You have to play the percentages less than... Basically, England play the percentages because they have utter confidence in their sort of set-piece power and their ability to maintain territory.
2: What do you think then... I mean, a big backlash and criticism for the England team after their performances in in the autumn was that they're boring. Which...
1: It's not untrue they were pretty uh, I mean it's one of those things where if you're sort of really into the sport and uh, I played in the forwards so I sort of I guess that's sounding grandiose sort of understand more like than the, the, basically for a casual viewer for sure England play a very boring style of rugby at the moment but part of that is Eddie Jones um had said that the next couple of years we're about England cementing their sort of fundamentals and their sort of defensive shape and their, you know, the sort of baseline plan, you know, if everything else is going wrong, this is what we know we can do. And this is what we revert to and then start, you know, grinding out the territory, play for territory, for- try to force errors high up the pitch and win a turnover and attack from there. The attacking lines and the sort of set moves and the sort of more broken play stuff can come later and closer to, say, the next World Cup. I mean, he's always been quite open about, he works on a four-year cycle. Everything is about winning the next World Cup. You know, the Six Nations titles should come if you are capable of winning the World Cup. So it's it makes sense from that perspective. But it means for the next sort of year or two, you're not going to see a particularly vibrant England. I mean, they are capable. I mean, what England's problem has been is an inability to adapt or deviate from the plan. They um, will keep kicking, even if it's clearly not working. And I think he needs players, the squad sort of lacks like leaders on the pitch to say, maybe like, guys, this isn't really happening now. We, we need to actually probably take some risks. Um, and the sort of squad at the moment is missing those sort of characters it had in 2003 who, Clyde Woodward sort of relied on several people on the pitch to just be knowing what the situation was. He talks about sort of total control under pressure. You know, it's um, he, he had faith in people like Johnson and Delaglio and uh, uh, Richard Hill and Neil Back to, to sort of say in any given moment, they knew what the right decision was. And I don't think this England team, as good as they are, in some respects, have any of that sort of... have, have that right mindset? I mean, against New Zealand's in the semi-final, yeah. they played the game of their careers, and it was brilliant. But it's because the plan worked, and so they were just able to keep executing the plan. Against South Africa in the final, they came up against a team who could match them physically, and the plan very rapidly stopped working. And um, they didn't have any sort of I guess they, you could sort of see them all looking at each other like, "What do we do?" No one really had the sort of um, the confidence to say, "Right, let's just."
3: Do I do remember the 2015 World Cup when it was hosted in England though? And even though England were somewhat of a more exciting team then, what infuriates me in international rugby the most is like errors giving away penalties and things like that whereas at least under eddie jones i would rather like a boring but disciplined efficient performance that you see those kind of flashes of brilliance like new zealand but that you then see like these measured wins against like ireland away where you know maybe they just kick it
1: yeah discipline for a long since the five football days discipline has been one of england's biggest problems in that they just they can give away a string of really fuck penalties like really obvious stupid things that you wouldn't expect a professional player to just do um and they can just play themselves out of the game and get on the wrong side of the referee they're bad at getting on the wrong side of referee and not winning the background and ill-discipline like that when it's not like violent conduct it's just technical infringements like one after the other is a sign of a team that lacks confidence and they start to panic and start to sort of get desperate at the breakdown and trying to you know they're trying to win turnovers they're sort of not trusting themselves to just sort of play through the rough patch you know if, if the other team's having a strong moment just soak it up they sort of if, if things start to fall apart it's snowballs for them and that's Jones has improved that a lot in his tenure, but it still creeps back in at times, like in the final and like in other games recently where it hasn't gone to plan, or like against Wales when they um, they run for Grand Slam, went to Wales and lost heavily, sort of 30 points to three or something like that. And that was, again, a case of just could not stop giving away sort of 20, 30 metres from penalties. And that, that has been their, one of their biggest weaknesses.
2: It's interesting to me that you touch on the lack of leadership because I guess one of the storylines, I guess will play a part in the six nations, but going forward is the fact that uh is being heavily tipped to be the British and Irish lions captain this summer. And it interests me that you could have someone selected as a lions captain who doesn't captain his nation. Like to me, that's quite odd. Yeah, for sure.
1: I think, Part of that, the problem with that is because um, the other international captains are either not get,
3: basically it has to be someone
1: who's a guaranteed starter in the 15, and there's probably two or three players, Maratoje being one of them, who are guaranteed on the team sheet, whatever happens, barring injury, sort of, you know, on that first team sheet against South Africa, Maratoge is one of them. The other thing is, if you look at the other international captains, you've got Alumin Jones, may not go, possibly considered too old at this point. He, may, he might go for his experience and to be on the bench and just to be part of the squad, but he's not a guaranteed starter. And your captain pretty much has to be. Um, Johnny Sexton, similar position. I don't reckon he'd start at this point. He might. depends on what one captain wants to do and how he's been playing. I think the Six Nations will determine whether Johnny Sexton goes and whether he starts. Um, and then, so you've got, other than that, I not remember who the Scotland captain was uh, Stuart, Hogg. Stuart Hogg could be it but people tend not to favour having a back particularly not a fullback as captain because like, I think in like uh, football soccer the, the, the captain role is massively overblown particularly in England but in rugby it is quite a critical role because you have a relationship with the referee because um, you can only talk to the referee through the captain and it's useful to have a forwards partly because the forwards tend to carry a bit more authority in the squads. Um, and also they are often right there in the thick of it next to the referee and can talk to them whereas if you're like Stuart Hogg stood sort of 40 metres away it's difficult to really have an influence without having to run all the way up to the captain uh, sorry to the referee and run all the way back into position etc so I can see it not being Stuart Hogg for that reason also because again he's not a guaranteed starter it depends on the style Gatlin's looking for at the time like he might come on to try and open up a game he's not nailed on to be the starting 15 if that wants someone potentially more defensively secure so at that point I mean I mean Farrell maybe but he's sort of again there's the the whole Saracens issue like how much, how well is he going to play is he definitely going to start um, at 10 or 12 and then his leadership has been, like I said, he's one of those people who at this point in his career you would want him to sort of take the game by the scruff of the neck if it's like falling apart around them and he just hasn't shown it to like the degree that you'd want necessarily. And I guess you could level that at Toje as well, but he's not formally been made captain. So sometimes people need that sort of to be officially given that responsibility, and you feel like maybe he could rise to that.
2: Right then, let's put your reputation on the line, Jake. <laughs> Sam's predicted his order. What's your finishing order for the Six Nations table?
1: I'll do it because like I said, it can just take one game to box the whole thing up. Um, yeah, Italy six. I think we can all agree on
3: that. Oh, sixth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were starting with winners.
1: <laughs> oh, I can go. all right. Well, okay. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> build up to the suspense. <laughs> you, you do in reverse reverse you order. Do so you, do it reverse order. I was gonna say we could spend a little bit of time in Italy, but basically Sergio Ferrisso is one of the great um players of his generation, is like fully retired now as far as I'm aware. And their squad only has four players with sort of 30 caps or more. So they're fully just throwing it at the youngsters to say, right, we'll give you a few years. And again, Italy are in for like a really rough time of it probably, but hopefully it will lead to something better in the future. But for now, sixth. Um, Then I would probably put, I mean, Wales finished fifth last year. I can see them finishing pretty much in the same place, possibly fourth. Um, I think, yeah, Wales fifth. Ireland possibly fourth, Scotland third. I think Scotland could get the better of Ireland if Ireland if Ireland are sluggish and they're struggling with um squad makeup. And then yeah, I do you know what? I'm gonna say France first, England second. I think I've talked Ooh. myself into
3: it. Is is that oh. because France beat England in the game, or do you think England mess up? It's your pick, but curious about how you think that happens. So you ha- do you are you saying that
2: France will win the Grand Slam? I guess is the best way of
1: I think it's I think it's possible. Yeah, it's not it's not a it's not a pick I'd make to save my life. But yes, I think France have a shot at the Grand Slam. Like I said, I think the decider is England France. But I think when, so. The more I look at all the things that have happened to the England squads in terms of withdrawals um, and the disruption, I think France have a chance at an upset. I don't think it's like nailed on. Obviously, as I said, but. And obviously, I'll be rooting for England massively. I, I, two teams I don't want England to lose to every year in the Six Nations are Wales and France. So I definitely don't want it, but I I get this sort of sense that for France are building to something, maybe not like World Cup winning quality just yet, but they are getting better all the time. And I think England's are in a process of And it may be partly down to, as I said, Eddie Jones is sort of building to the next World Cup more than he is worried about this tournament. So he's always looking to learn certain things about the squad and put certain things in place. So maybe that will end up costing England in terms of it's a game they could win, but they will play in a way that means it's less likely they'll win. It's sort of in pursuit of a longer-term goal. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go France. You know, you like big opinions on this podcast. That's it. I think France are going to win the Six Nations
2: i'm gonna come back at you with an even bigger opinion of mm-hmm. sorts because i'm gonna it's I'm already going, a climb down <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm not gonna suddenly but. say italy you're gonna win the six nations i'm gonna pick england to win the six nations but i'm gonna pick ireland to finish second i think france are gonna do one of the most french things of all time and find a way to lose a match that you wouldn't expect them to so
3: yeah. it, it really
2: wouldn't I, mean, I think me. Any, any right. prediction you make about
1: France has to come with the caveat that it's France and they could, they're just someone's had a bit of a sulk on the day and they play like shit. So that is entirely possible. And again, because it's a five day tournament, one thing goes slightly differently to what we predicted and it just blows it out of the water. And particularly, like I said, places of like second to fourth are very up for grabs each year, sort of based on the turn of like one
3: try. Okay. So England, so, Ireland. Who else you got? I think my, I order,
2: my order will be England, Ireland, France, Wales, Scotland, Italy.
3: So the only, man in, yeah, the only man in Arizona to give a prediction on the Six Nations. You, you can be Frank the Fish for this one.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, I'll do England, France, Ireland, Scotland,
2: Wales, Italy. So a slight deviation on Sam. So basically you two will Ooh, see the winner will, the probably, squid. will come down to uh Scotland Wales to decide probably which one of yeah. you is is correct. All right. Well that so for anyone listening, anyone wanting to watch that kicks off uh this weekend with I think it's two matches on Saturday and one on Sunday, I
3: think, or is it the other way around? Oh, is they're not the Friday night games anymore. They're not it's having two on Monday two
0: games. on Saturday, one on Sunday.
3: The,
2: the Friday Night Games are always the interesting one, right? Because it's it's only really France who ever played the Friday Night Game, basically.
1: Wales as well.
2: Oh, Wales too? Yeah, Wales, yeah. But yeah, like um, you never see England
1: playing the Friday with Night. Maybe the crowds, it's not really... I guess that makes it more TV coverage centric, but it's... I'm not sure.
3: It's I almost... Know. It's a shame this Six Nations, right? Like you just mentioned, the crowds really matter in international rugby, especially Six Nations rugby. So it's going to give it a bit of a flatter dynamic, but hopefully the rugby is interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, everything I've said will turn out to be bollocks now, obviously, and they will just suddenly place champagne rugby flinging it about. But I, I get the impression it's going to be very attritional, even more so than usual. Um, you know, kick to the corners... Uh, defend high at the pitch and look for turnovers and score points from those rather than trying to like go on a drive from your own 22
2: well I guess we'll see and Frank you can give us information for our American listeners how do they watch the Six Nations oh, you don't <laughs>
0: unless you're willing to go illegally um, it's really hard to find any rugby uh they sometimes have it on nbc but a lot of times actually i'll say all the time it's never live it's the dumbest thing ever so if you're any type of true fan or gambler you're obviously going to know what happens and then you're in that situation where it's like do i want to watch a match where i know the outcome and nine times out of ten no you'll just watch the highlights you know so it's it's never, I've never been able to find it live. It's always like a six but hour delay.
1: The way to watch it is to get a VPN, right? And then just yeah. a, you know, spoof your location and use one of the British players.
3: So yep. Jake, this is not a podcast that encourages illegal activity. Yeah. <laughs> but this podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, if only, <laughs> that would have been the
2: perfect. But yeah, if you do have one of those VPNs that are often very popular on with sp- sponsoring uh, podcasts or YouTube Channels, yes, you could get yourself a VPN, and then you could go onto the BBC or ITV website, and you could watch the match for free live. Oh, so it's, would, it's it's live on BBC, BBC or ITV, depending on the. Oh, the fixture. I- ITV
0: is really easy to get if you have the means <laughs> to ITV to, t- to be in England. <laughs> yeah, not, not saying that I
2: am experienced with this, but of the two itv always works with vpns yeah the bbc the bbc are a little bit m- more difficult they seem to pay a lot closer attention to trying to stop people accessing their content because well, of have that to
1: have a profile as well to sign into their player whereas i think itv you can just, no,
0: you ITV is to... just it's you need a login but it's like a simple login and they don't check like there's no proof of residency or anything because that's oh, what i use just... to watch all the the horse racing
3: Boris Johnson wants I, I that didn't. license money. Of course, it's going to be harder. The so, government so the, needs its license.
2: So the BBC asked you to put in a postcode, and I believe that only <laughs> certain. Only I wouldn't certain be
0: able to, uh, to, like, figure out what a postcode Ed, looks Eddie, like. Eddie, do
2: you
3: still use our
2: Guilford one? <laughs> no, because that's the thing. So I'm not saying that I do this, but there are that for, for whatever reason, only certain postcodes work. So I guess it's some some for some maybe there's the tracking. The identifying for certain postcodes Oof. isn't as accurate, so you you actually for anyone trying to do this, you need to go online <laughs> and first search for which postcodes you can use with the BBC with a VPN. And there's only about five, and then you have to choose one of those, and then from there you often just need to play around with your VPN. And I'm not going to say that this is not a sponsor of the podcast, but Smart DNS Smart DNS proxy works pretty consistently with the B- with the BBC. Crazy. I like that little fire guy. Hola. And it's and and also smart DNS proxy is less expensive than a lot of the much more popular DNSs and prog- oh. and proxy services out there. You can get it for around two dollars a month. So again, not a sponsor, but I would endorse their services.
3: Are we, are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I can send I'll send them this clip and see if afterwards they want to give us some Hey Frank, I've got a question for you. Right. Yeah. So during the World Cup, the USA always goes to the world cup right uh, they normally get trounced on pretty bad what, what wait what, what sport are we talking rugby about? still rugby okay <laughs> but i'm curious about why it's never kicked on in the u.s because okay there's lots of differences with nfl but there's a fair amount of similarities like what is it about rugby that doesn't kick on in the usa because you see like soccer getting more ter- of a appeal but rugby just doesn't seem to be there in
0: terms of people watching it or or people playing it to like make a good squad? Call it both. Because I think the second part's easy is that no one's gonna want to go into rugby when they can go into the NFL. I, I think I think the only way you're gonna get people to play rugby instead of NFL is if your family has some ties to previously watching rugby and kind of pushes you into it as a young in a young age, or if you kind of are like on the fringe of not being able to play super competitive american football and someone kind of coaxes you in to to try out rugby i I think that's the only the way and i mean like soccer has gotten bigger here because there's not really like an alternative to soccer right i I mean i think it's rugby I, i i think it's american football
1: the other thing about soccer is parents want their kids playing soccer because, I mean, heading aside, it is considerably safer for your health yeah. term. Um, um, if, and if you're not going to make many millions, you're still going to do unknown damage to your brain playing it up to a high school level, yeah. um, American football. And rugby, as it turns out, may not be that. I mean, I think it is better because a lot of the tackling technique has to be better. I, I still think there's going to be quite a problem with rugby. For the sort of people who were the first professionals because of the lack of oversight of their well-being but i mean rugby is growing in america there is a professional league that's entering it's like second or third season chris robshaw has joined the new york team um the former england captain oh yeah
0: yeah there's like a chicago team isn't there and then like a california like a la or san diego team
1: yeah so it's they're trying it's growing but it's like from a low base so when they talk about big growth percentages it's kind of hard not to because
3: what about the what thousand, about the allure? What about the allure of playing for the USA? Because you don't well, get that. Again, in NFL, I think you've already right? hit
1: the nail on the head, where it's it, attracting people who didn't quite make the grade in the sports they might have tried to go into. I mean, the, there's, so rugby sevens, which is like the seven-a-side version played on a full pitch. The US had this famous uh, guy for a while called Carla Isles, and he was basically just someone who just missed the cut as an Olympic sprinter. So he was absurdly fast, but on a sevens pitch with his acres of space, he was deadly. Um, yeah. But he would never have made the grade in 15s because I mean, it's the same as when you get like a rugby player who goes to the NFL to try their luck. It's not just that they might be physically not right because they're sort of um, sort of in between what they want the NFL players in terms of a massive guy or an insanely fast guy. It's that they just haven't had the sort of years and years of game time, even as a kid, just learning the sort of the nuances of positioning, etc. You just can't teach it in like two years. Yeah, yeah. You,
2: the, the sort of and IQ, think- the sports IQ you have for that one. It's just not there. The other thing I'm going to say is that, and I said this to Sam before we recorded, Americans fundamentally don't like sports that they're not good at. And it's a little chicken Eddie, chicken egg Eddie, chicken. Yeah, Eddie. You are chicken Eddie for saying <laughs> chicken, that. Chicken Eddie. <laughs> and it, is, it is like a vicious circle, right? But fundamentally, I think Americans don't get into anything where they can't mindlessly chant like we are number one and that that is, and I'm not trying to mean that as an attack on Americans, but I think it's very it sure difficult. Like it. I think it's very <laughs> difficult. I think Americans are fundamentally used to the idea of being the best at everything. And I think this, this kind of, is everywhere in their culture, but when you see it in sports, it's very difficult for them to become that interested in watching their team consistently lose.
0: Is Is chicken Eddie just like the most boring, bland chicken dish you can eat? It's just like
3: plain, unsalted chicken. The Americans on (laughs) the (laughs) offensive. It's just a boiled chicken breast.
1: Yeah, yeah, brown rice and like carrots
3: and broccoli. It's
0: all boiled in in the same pot. It's in the same pot. It's like (laughs) carrots, brown rice and chicken.
2: Carrots are too spicy for me. Yeah. i think it's like sam jason,
1: I, when jason momoa goes on a talk show and talks about his diet he's been eating to get ripped for a roll he's like oh yeah i have chicken eddie five times a day it's just boiled chicken breast." <laughs>
2: it is true i am jason momoa's nutritionist we, we yeah. work closely together
0: so jason momoa is just putting chicken eddie in his mouth all
2: day <laughs> yes wow <laughs> and that means and, something else frank <laughs> and this actually set it up set us up beautifully i guess for our transition to our next topic well we're talking about jason momoa who obviously has had a rather starring role in a superhero franchise dc Uh, dc we thought we'd uh jake because we know that we've recently spoken about batman versus superman we thought we might bring in your thoughts (laughs) on what the best batman villain is or villains i suppose if you want so so, could we
3: do we need qualifying questions here? Are we just talking about movies? We're just talking movies and i and not in
2: terms of performance, I mean in terms of the villain themselves as a character sort of how oh, I thought it was a little bit mind.
0: of everything. I thought it was kind of like the performance, but also yeah, how they are I, as a villain I don't,
1: have, I don't have strong opinions on like the sort of psychology of particular characters. I mean I guess it really is I, I really like no really i
2: wait so
0: maybe we should start with this question how easily jake do you think batman could beat superman in a
1: fight uh well again you have to ask other questions well in a straight fight superman kills him inside of a second doesn't he that's the problem that's why in the film we had to use kryptonite it's a deeply shit film i have watched it but it's like he uses kryptonite to weaken superman to bring him down to his level that's the only way he could win
0: do um, you think he could still beat him even with Kryptonite against him? Probably. I mean, I mean that's what I don't get. Isn't Bruce Wayne just like a washed-up fifty-year-old?
1: Well, I think you have to assume they're both at their peak when this happens. If you in, in any sort of these, any of these sort of imaginary fights where you're sort of pitting two things against each other, you have to assume it's the best version of that thing. In which okay, case, so- it's best version of Superman, not weakened by Kryptonite, and he's Batman is dead before he even
3: knows he's in a fight. <laughs> That'd be a short film.
0: Speaking, <laughs> speaking of that, Eddie, have you seen? Because we talked about this last week too. Have you seen any of you the preview for Godzilla versus King Kong?
2: I have
3: not. Thank yeah. God. It looks no. like King Kong's going to beat him. How? Why? What's the? What happens that makes you think that? He just looks so strong. <laughs>
1: It looks like he's, he's been, had a really good camp. and he's
0: <laughs> Yeah, he's had a really good training session for the past 12 to 14 weeks. He's put on at least six, seven tons. He's looking big. No, I don't know. It just looks like, I mean, obviously, Godzilla is the villain of the movie. And they no, like King no, Kong is the last it's resort. It's the
1: same as Batman v Superman, where there's some other third party manipulating them. And in the end, they're going to team up to defeat that third party. Like, neither one is going to be the bad guy by the end. <laughs> like, if, if I know shitty film writing. Of which you do. <laughs> well, as in, I've watched enough shitty films to know how they go.
3: So BVS for you was a shitty film?
1: I mean Oh, BVS. Was, listen to you. Oh,
0: was it, <laughs> yeah. Was Fucking was Mr. It, was Reddit thread down here.
3: Anyone? It was. it no, was. It, was it, it wasn't great, but it was. It was fine to watch. No, I think, I think gave the it worst six part is
0: was, is um, Lex Luthor.
1: Oh yeah, Jesse Eisenberg was. Incredible. Oh, he was terrible. But also, the twenty minutes of like brown and black CGI bath at the end that was just utterly indistinguishable as action. Like really unenjoyable, sort of headache-inducing level of uh, busyness on screen.
3: So not one of your best villains. Um, what was it, Abomination Doomsday. or whatever it was? Yeah, Doomsday, that was it. No. So Doomsday is not in Jake's. Okay. Who have you got, Jake? Do you want to kick us off with uh, a Batman I mean, like, villain?
1: Two-Face, I guess. As a, Interesting. you're talking about the character, Two-Face.
0: Tommy Lee Jones, you're some, talking about. Someone
1: who's like, you who sort of... I mean, he's obviously arbitrarily conflicted, but is... Um, know somebody started good but ended up messed up rather than like the Joker who's just sort of pure unadulterated evil and chaos it's kind of you know it's a bit um one note
0: Jake and you're talking about the Tommy Lee Jones Face, right
1: uh yeah yeah if I have to put a a particular (laughs) Face to it yeah rather than Aaron Eckhart although he was good in uh, the Dark Knight
2: all right, Frank. Yeah. I want you to make your pick because I'm—I know who you're going to go for.
0: I'm going to go for Mister Peaky Blinders himself.
3: Oh, really? It's oh. a good—it's a good one.
1: Yeah, because we a screen time.
3: But he, he was the only consistent villain over the three, wasn't he? In the Nolan, uh, um, yeah. So, kind of compensated across three. The floor's yours, Frank.
0: I was say, just in terms of acting, I think he was the best. And I, I, the, the, I think the, the slight absurdity of how realistic they make it, I kind of enjoy. Where like if you just step back a second and see what's happening, it's just he's dousing someone with hallucinogens and then putting on uh, a potato sack and just being like, ah, <laughs> but like in in the movie, it scares the living shit out of the people, so it makes it pretty funny. I think hell of a yeah. Halloween
2: prank, right? <laughs> See, I I actually my mind went to the wrong place when you said Mister Peaky Blinders himself. I thought you were talking about Tom Hardy. No, I'm talking about the scarecrow. <laughs> and I didn't realize you were talking scarecrow <laughs> oh, okay. and Killian Murphy. I didn't realize. Yeah. I didn't put, like I just thought I I kind of forgot.
3: I mean, scarecrow's the stupidest.
0: I yeah. know that's why I think it's great it's so stupid
3: <laughs> like, why is it understand. stupid well like the fear toxins and things like that why is it so stupid? I just think
0: it's so great how effective it is that all he's doing is just putting on a potato because, sack and scaring yeah, the that's shit of everyone the,
3: that's the thing about scarecrow he's not doing anything overly elaborate he's just using toxins to his advantage like everyone else is trying to do ridiculous stunts <laughs> but what's the advantage of terrifying someone
2: like realistically, if someone takes you, they maybe just... they poop themselves. Because once you realize, realized, <laughs> right? Like if he does it, to, does it to you once? You've at some point you got to, you got to know what it is. Like if you've heard who Scarecrow is, you go like, okay, he's he's going to make me terrified, but none of it's real. Yeah, but
1: I think is especially that it's so potent that it's hard to. Yeah, I, I mean. If you you are sort of taking that level of why not this logic, you sort of have to just stop with comic book movies.
2: Well, that's why I stopped with comic book movies, Jake. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm one step ahead of you there. (laughs) But now I want to take one person off the table because I want to... This is my real hot take of the episode. One thing I want to stop hearing is how amazing... Heath Ledger's performance was as the Joker. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear how special it was. I don't want to hear how incredible that movie was. I don't hear what it's like, sacrifice he made to the universe by getting so deep into such a tragic character that he then had to off himself. Like I don't need it anymore.
0: I still don't think that's the full reason that. I'm not saying it suicide. is yeah it may have been a
2: couple of other lying so yeah. and look I don't mean this as a knock on Heath Ledger I mean this on, as a knock on all the people who love Heath Ledger and who needed to try and convince themselves that this was the greatest acting performance of all time and that somehow the guy who played teenage romantic roles up until this point well, do and not broke back, start and broke back.
0: 10 things I hate about you don't even Wait, dare! I, I was start more likely to. It. I was.
2: I was more likely to batch a knight's tale, but okay, uh, that's fine. But and I guess brokeback mountain, which is the only role he should really be remembered for, but like. I'm just. I don't need to hear anymore. What a, what an incredible performance it was.
3: Wait. What, so what is, a is your problem? Wait. Is <laughs> is Eddie's problem? Because it's a. It's. A, I think it's a really good portrayal of the Joker at least. But is your problem that it's massively inflated, or do you think it isn't a good performance?
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's it's Eddie hating on something that everyone else
2: likes. It's he just it's literally to be the epitome the author, of Eddie.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: There's an element can't even of that. Answer. There's an element of that. But it's not just hating on some Look, I think the performance is fine. I think it's a decent portrayal of a super villain. Like I think that's as far as I would go. I don't think his portrayal of the Joker, for example, is any more brilliant than Killian Murphy's portrayal of the Scarecrow. Like I don't or of plenty of the portrayals of uh, if you wanted to look look into the TV series Gotham, and when I watched the early, early couple of seasons of Gotham before it kind of went off a deep end, some of the portrayals there of the kind of like adding actual sort of depth to the characters.
1: Yeah, the guy who played, I watched only like a few episodes of that and decided it wasn't for me. But the guy who played Penguin seemed pretty good. Yeah, he did a good job.
2: Um, now, if he the mistake he made clearly was not killing himself after season one, because then he would have gone down as the greatest actor. Well, of I think all time. I think with the
1: Heath Ledger that's you ask yourself, would he have won the Oscar if he were alive at the time of the ceremony?
2: You, you you can't. You can't <laughs> you can ask yourself that? You, no, I mean, I can. I just did. And the answer is no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but um, if you compare him to other Jokers, I think well, he's
1: so this gets a lot on, better. If we were talking about performance, the best Joker is actually
3: Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Mark um, Hamill yeah. did... Um, he does the voice in the video games as well, for the, him, yeah, which is a really good portrayal. And yeah, all,
1: all the sort of movies around that the sort of straight to video animated movies and also Kevin Conroy is probably the best Batman therefore because his voice is way more convincing than anything so
3: would you say Heath Ledger's the best visual portrayal of the Joker
1: actually know, or of, would
3: you say much... Joker Phoenix or Joaquin Phoenix oh Joaquin. Well, Joaquin. oh Joaquin Joaquin
1: Joaquin <laughs> I have to be honest I haven't watched Joker
2: you could give it a miss. you you your life is, you know, is it, that is
3: that movies. another hot take from Eddie there?
0: Because the everyone Joker raves is... about it.
3: Everyone raves about it.
0: It was decent. I. It was it, That one was a little overhyped. I thought.
3: It well, was fine. That film and
0: it,
1: is that he's like a sniveling loser. He's not cl- like he. The Joker is meant to be devious. Like the only person who can match him for smarts is Batman, and the 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 wacky Phoenix Joker is like this sort of. Um, tragic loser, um, down on his luck, you know, he just sort of instigates things eventually by just sort of going off a deep end, but not in any way that you couldn't be outwitted. I,
2: well, I think yeah. you touch like on the key issue I have with that movie, which is, okay, they're trying to show you what the joker in kind of real life could be like, right? like this is this is how it could actually happen, but and it's kind of mixing, superhero folklore with like V for Vendetta almost but the problem I have with it is you have the loser at the start they do a good job he's a complete loser but then you don't then he just transforms into being this kind of cult leader but you don't see the transformation it kind of just happens like gets to the shit kicked out of him by a bunch of teenage boys now he's a super villain like you never the movie should have spent you know 45 minutes an hour an hour and a half dedicated to like watching this guy slowly grow in confidence slowly figure things out and instead it's just like hey you remember that guy who used to be a loser well now he's pretty powerful like there's no explanation whatsoever for really how it happened
0: the the thing with that movie to me is it's a movie where it's a really good performance that hypes up the movie more than the actual plot and the, the movie itself like if you took his performance out of the movie it's it's really kind of a boring his, movie. His
1: performance is covering for a lot of holes in it. I mean, I've yeah, described for sure. like baby's first taxi driver, basically.
2: For sure. But also too, right? Really, like, Todd Phillips the,
1: pretty openly said he was like riffing on taxi driver, etc. You know, it's, it's sort of early Scorsese films is the vibe he was going for.
2: Yeah. And, and to me, the other issue with it too, is like the self-importance of Phoenix, after the movie with all the speeches he gave and stuff also put me off it. And those shouldn't be tied together, but they are in the sense that like somehow his self-importance as an actor, I kind of tie to the perceived self-importance of the, the movie itself. Um, and that, that really bothers me. So basically if you play the Joker, I'm probably annoyed with you.
0: So what's your take on Jared Leto?
2: <laughs> oh, Eddie, oh, I love it. Eddie, I love it. Eddie, I love it.
3: Now there's only one.
2: There's only one Joker. I'd still. I'd. I'd
3: be fine with. you say Jack Nicholson? Yeah, of course. What, the goofy one-liners. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he still sinister. He still carries the underlying menace with it. That's why it's. I mean, no. I, mean, and I also I you know. have to you have to separate
3: right, no, right
2: his his portrayal is what he was supposed to do within the way that movie was designed. Like if he if Jack Nicholson had played a Heath Ledger style. Joker within that movie, it would have been psychotic if you'd had. That
0: would have been true Joker. (laughs) Yeah,
2: if you imagine that you have this universe that's creating the types of characters like Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy, and then wandering into it had been. I know that's not the same, but you know, like that series, like that era. Breaks a
1: pool cue in half and tells two, like three people, to fight over like one bit of. 24 Q. Yeah, exactly no. <laughs> and then
2: had told a story about how his like cut his lips with from his tent and stuff and like, and like gone through all that it would have been terrifying i mean genuinely i would have given credit that would have been that would have been an incredible move
0: uh, this picturing that actually is pretty funny
2: And maybe that's Um, if someone out there with incredible editing skills, that's what they should do. They should cut all of the different like Batman roles together and then do a super edit where it's kind of like, you know, the the sort of different Batmans from an era of fighting against like the Jack Nicholson, like the, the Nolan Batman versus the, the the Jack Nicholson Joker and just see those go going up against each other.
1: So I I think, these days i think tim burton absolutely steals a living uh and i would wouldn't touch one of the the barge pole but that vision of sort of gotham the art deco style and everything for the time really suited it better than like i like i like the nolan films but most of Nolan's films are very dry and sort of po faced and it's sort of batman's become this thing where he's just sort of this fascist who beats up poor people rather than like a detective you know a, a a guy with gadgets he's very clever and worked out problems. Um, I know he has gadgets in the Nolan films. What I mean is, it's mostly about him knowing kung fu and kicking the shit out of people, rather than um,
3: sort of <laughs> being, being a bo- you When you boil it down, yeah. I mean, a shout out to Danny DeVito's Penguin. If we're talking yeah. about Tim Burton, yeah, like that—that that is a well-performed. Yeah, and Catwoman, Penguin actually, in
1: terms of on-screen villains, that's pretty iconic. Not Halle Berry, obviously, um, Michelle Pfeiffer.
2: Plus, where well, they've really gone wrong since those movies, right, it was ditching the nipples on the costumes. That was the... That <laughs> this was is like the, the third m- time
0: you brought up the nipple costumes.
2: I mean, it's... A, it, <laughs> it's yeah, there's the, been a forecast. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: nipple cast.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very popular, actually. But uh, people only listen one time, and then they're disappointed with what I'm talking about. Turns out, listening to a 45-minute discussion about Batman costumes with nipples every week
3: not one because then the content's a bit of a stretch as well there's yeah, that,
2: there's got to be a subreddit for that but my <laughs> fortunately i've nailed the seo so if you search if you search nipples in google like like this comes up so people are probably not expecting what they get when they click on the link
0: Whose bane was better
1: who even played bane in batman and robin
2: i don't know i don't think he could talk <laughs> yeah he didn't do much I mean, you have to give it to Tom Hardy. The issue with Tom Hardy, right, in, in the Bane portrayal is that he's wearing like 10-inch platforms. Like for this guy who's supposed to be, like the whole thing about Bane is he's supposed to be huge. and He's also
0: supposed to be really intelligent. Yeah. Supposedly he's like the only yeah. villain that can match the intellect of Batman. Or like is smarter than Batman. Which is why people hated the original one because the guy literally can't even talk. He's so dumb.
2: (laughs) Or maybe he's so smart um... that he can't talk.
0: (laughs) He definitely chose fly over speak every language. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any more hot takes? Uh, I've got tons of love.
3: (laughs) I've got a lot of love for Jim Carrey's Riddler.
2: It's (laughs) It's, oh man, we might legitimately be becoming a Jim Carrey podcast at
3: this rate. It's just so, um, it's just ridiculously over the top. Because wasn't it the first or second one after the Tim Burton? So it went from kind of like the Tim first Burton one. first uh, one. So it went from kind of that like black gray, that's it, in, in all of the films. It's always raining, for example, to this colorful, kooky, Ralph Schumacher- style movies and to be fair jim carrey just had this moment in like the mid early 90s where everything he touched turned to gold with his eccentricity and i think the riddler was nailed for that kind of like wacky portrayal. i'm all for it i think the
1: second batman it was snowing and it was christmas themed it was pretty colorful between that and the penguins it was it wasn't just um dower certainly uh I'd also dispute that everything Jim Terry touched turned to gold thing because, Jim Carrey, sorry, um, in the, I have never liked The Mask. I don't think it's good at all. I like Ace Ventura more than, I know Eddie mentioned this last time. Um, I like Ace Ventura. I think certain comedies, you have to just see them at the right age or like they just, stick with. they just, they catch you at the right moment and they stay with you. I think there's, only, there's very few comedies that transcend generations and everyone finds funny. And Ace Venture isn't one of those, but it caught me at
2: the right time. Um. The thing that's done—I mean, you've—you've you've, you've claimed that I've had some hot takes over the course of this uh, podcast. The fact that Sam has just attributed a directing credit to—oh, you
3: stole it! You stole to it! Formula, I was say. To,
2: to former Formula
3: One driver,
2: oh. Ralph, Ralph
3: Schumacher. Did I say oh, Ralph? Okay.
0: Oh, Joe, you stole Joe. it. I was just going to say
3: that. I, I was mean, gonna say. he had an excellent oh. career in the footsteps of Michael, whilst Michael was tearing up the mid nineties. Ralph was well, I directing guess Batman films.
2: Yeah, and so then he saw, um, he saw Christopher Nolan make some more movies, and he decided to stick Michael into Inception. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a good one. I was waiting for that. Who's the, uh, so it's the Riddler, Two-Face. Is there a third villain in that one?
3: I think Poison Ivy, isn't
1: it? No, that's Batman and Robin. Yeah, Poison Ivy's with the
0: Freeze. With with Freeze and Bane. Yeah. Is it just those two then? Yeah. Yeah. Or is Catwoman also
3: on that one? No. No. very camp movies by joel schumacher as well with robin did robin have nipples
2: eddie i think so
3: a lot of lycra
2: could you milk them <laughs> <laughs> i think they both had nipples i think can't remember it was more the batman nipples that stood out so to speak but the uh <laughs> i think there's also nipples on what's uh, what's his name who, who played robin Uh, Chris O'Donnell Chris Chris O'Donnell O'Donnell. yeah currently making his living as a daytime daytime TV actor there's a guy who
0: Alicia Silverstone was in that too I forgot about that
2: Chris O'Donnell every time once in a while now because I turn on whenever I turn on French TV they're almost always showing uh, NCIS NCIS and Not a fair criticism necessarily coming from me, but I'm always put off by the fact that Chris O'Donnell has aged relatively well. Like he doesn't look very old, but he just looks a little bit like he's like a semi-bloated corpse that's been like left in the river for a little bit of time. (laughs) You're always like, it looks like Chris O'Donnell, but it looks like he's just been dragged out of the Hudson. He looks like
1: a man in good shape drowned. And exactly. <laughs> was found a few days later. Yes, it's, it
2: always puts me off slightly. Whatever. I mean, funda- for a fifty-year-old, he looks good. I'm not denying. Like if he rocked up and he didn't know who I gotta he was look this he up. He was fifty. But but he's, yeah,
1: he looks like a badly maintained thirty-year-old.
2: Exactly. <laughs> he looks just a little too good for his age to look that bad.
3: <laughs> what?
2: Like if he'd either aged more or let himself go more it would be fine. But the fact that he's aged well and then yeah. just like slightly gone out of it, he just looks like, he just looks like a, a little bit like a weird version of his past self.
1: Kind of like Matthew Perry.
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah, he bit.
0: does. It's got like the, yeah. He looks kind of like uh, oh, well, a lot of your friends do after, after university, when they kind of like put on 20, 25 pounds because they're in the real world, <laughs> except he's doing it at age 50. <laughs>
1: To be clear, I definitely trade physiques with him because I'm not in good shape, but
2: he's... I trade everything with him. (laughs) It's not a knock on on Chris O'Donnell, right? And then just to confirm, the Chris O'Donnell Robin did have nipples. Very, I go ahead and Google it, very, very prominent nipples. Impossible to miss.
1: I was actually just listening to a podcast the other day with uh, Patton Oswald, and he was asked, what's the worst film you've ever seen? And he said, Batman and Robin. Uh, and he said, it's, um, there's a moment where like George Clooney is like giving this dedication and like the opening of some observatory and it's supposed to be like a really heartfelt thing, but he's just sort out of mind drumming his hands on the railing as he does it. And he said, that's the moment you can see that the real life George Clooney has just given up on this film being any good. And it's just like, I'm just going to have to get through these next few <laughs> weeks and take the paycheck and just hope it doesn't kill my career.
2: Well, here's an interesting one for you then, George Clooney overrated or underrated as an actor I
1: don't feel that many people really claim he's that great. I think most people are sort of on the he's just he's just got charisma enough for certain roles He's done later in life he's obviously done some slightly more heavyweight roles and done you know a good job but I don't think anyone would claim most of his sort of work in his 30s and 40s was anything other than like um, you know proper Hollywood's like you know um, glamorous pictures.
3: How long was he in ER for?
2: Mm, I want to say maybe like four seasons, five seasons. The only thing I
0: particularly like him in is Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I think he's That's really a very good, good in that. movie, and he and he's like perfect for it. He plays like he, that like super talkative, chatty, uh, like overconfident person, and he plays it really well. But other than that, like I can't think of an iconic role he's played where like he's in movies like the oceans of course but he's not gravity s- stand out in the
2: oceans yeah gravity i mean up in the air is a good movie
1: yeah no that's
2: good yeah up in the air i guess three kings
1: <laughs> yeah
0: he's not just, a good we movie
3: three kings be oh. stealing the gold <laughs> uh the ocean films uh, not good. No, but that's these. exactly what
1: we're talking about. Where it's very lightweight on the actual acting; it's more about him just giving the eyebrow and like sort
0: of. Yeah, <laughs> he's not bad in them, but he's not. It's like he's not He's not really doing any
1: heavy lifting. It's just. Yeah. He's just George Clooneying his way through it.
3: Unsurprisingly, as George Clooney. I've never
0: seen <laughs> Michael Clayton. I feel no. like Eddie's probably seen that. I've seen Michael Clayton. Yeah,
2: I own Michael Clayton actually. Um, <laughs> like you own a person named Michael Clayton? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's illegal. <laughs> well, not in every country, but um, he's got some decent movies. I mean, if you want to give him credit for uh, voice acting, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I think Sam you've defended on previous podcast episodes.
1: Yeah, I like that too.
2: Yeah, it's a Wes Anderson, is it?
3: I've defended voice acting. Oh. Sure. That's, it's, that's, than, it's much tougher than people think.
0: Yeah.
3: I mean, there's a few. But <laughs> <would> you know. <laughs> I used to date an actor as well who did a little bit of voice work. But the reason it's difficult is because actors fundamentally play off people and they have scenes, they have the ability to do things. Whereas you've got to act out a person just by being in a booth. And so you've got to put into it like your own personality. You've got to have the ups, the downs. You've got to try and blend in with that character whilst just being sat down in a booth. And it makes Aren't you also cutting tougher. off
0: like half of the half of the acting by not having to
2: actually but do yeah. any movements.
1: <laughs> so that again makes getting the character into the voice a the more important.
2: Yeah. Can we all agree that acting terribly overrated profession <laughs> There's, my, there's my, not as hard. You just have to be slightly psychotic and not not have like issues making a fool out of yourself.
0: Overrated in difficulty. I think it would be amazing yeah. to be an actor. I think that's got best be oh, no, no, yeah. jobs in the planet.
2: No, no, no. I take being an actor, but yeah. in terms of, I can tell Sam is Sam's not in agreement with me here. No, just they give it
3: a, uh, a bit of cocaine. <laughs> oh my god! All right. No, I'm I'm Sam. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: I mean, that's the good thing about voice acting, right? You can do as much cocaine as you want in the booth.
3: You can imagine just watching someone just powder up a booth. <laughs> I'm not
2: saying I'm not saying he did, and he he can't sue us. I'm not gonna. This is, but s- supposedly, Tom Hanks was just sniffing all day while he was filming the Toy Story movies. It's why they keep making them, just because it's the only time you can go back and just go straight onto the coke.
3: Yeah, he was talking about a buzz he was getting, and they just decided it stuck. (laughs) So they just kept the name. But to push us back onto sports,
2: and I have no segue that works for cocaine. Well, actually, cocaine I could have probably done if I'd worked a little bit harder. But I don't know if you saw in the news this week that Barcelona are facing severe financial difficulties. According to Spanish newspaper El Mundo, they are on the verge of bankruptcy. And in their recent financial report, they showed that they made a loss of $117 million in 2020 with a, and now have a debt of $1.4 billion. And the thing that fascinated me the most out of reading about this is that uh, it kind of came to light because they didn't, pay, they didn't pay their players on time in January. And what then was discussed as part of that is the way Barcelona pays their players is that they only pay you twice a year. So they give you one payment in January, and then oh they give God. you an, they give you another payment. <laughs> wow. They give you another payment in, I think it's June, and that's it. You just get those two massive sums of money at one go.
1: So they're just bollocks of sorts from a cash flow perspective, basically. <laughs> yes.
2: I don't understand what the benefit is for anyone, really. Like, and then wasn't
1: it revealed that Messi was on about $123 million a year? Yes. Uh, which uh, is... Two point four million a week, or
2: three hundred and thirty-eight thousand a day. Tough. (laughs) How does he manage to make it through? And and probably when he he probably has tax write-offs. That means the government owns owes him money at the end of the year too. So he's probably on like five hundred thousand a day by the time he gets the rebates.
0: They said the interesting one I saw from that was uh, Messi's annual income is higher than the combined salaries of uh, Trout. LeBron James, Tom Brady, and Connor McDavid. So four of the like the top five highest paid athletes in each sport in America combined, he makes more than all of them per
3: year. Do you think they make a lot more in kind of commercial aspects like advertising and all that? Like you wouldn't see gonna make advert.
2: a ton. No, yeah, I would think I would think the only one of those who could possibly compete with Messi LeBron. from a commercial standpoint is LeBron James. Yeah, it's not Connor McDavid. The only way I think would way.
1: justify it is because in Spain they negotiate each team negotiates their TV rights individually, don't they? So if you have Lionel Messi, you can command. So maybe he earns it back for them that way. If the channels are willing to absolutely fork out to show Messi on TV, because then it's possible in turn, for them. It's all the adverts become much more valuable than if they're just showing like Atafa versus Villarreal.
2: For sure, and it's possible. I, I guess the. I guess the problem with that, right, is if Barcelona were making money, you could say he could justify whatever sum of money he possibly could command. But the fact that they're losing tons of money means obviously it doesn't make financial sense. No.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, I've never been one who believes in the idea that footballers earn too much money until I think he probably does earn too much money. I think the amount footballers earn, because I think what happens is people conflate. There being too much money in football the footballers getting too much money and they're two separate arguments and there is too much money in football but based on the amount of money there is footballers deserve the money they get because they they are the reason it exists they're the reason the money flows in because people want to pay to watch them um and if it wasn't going to them it would just be going to some guy in a booth like at the stadium
3: just a uh, random guy <laughs> well no
1: like in the box i mean like it's you know the, the money will go somewhere so it may as well go to the yeah. we're actually doing the thing that we want to see
2: No, i agree with you it will be interesting to see what the fallout is from all of this right because not to get too deep into all of the regulations and stuff that UEFA have in place but fundamentally barcelona have no right to play a european football soon um but history would tell you that there's no way either the spanish uh, football association or uefa crack down on a team of the size of barcelona so i'm sure that Sp- barcelona will be bailed out traditionally it's always been real madrid who've kind of been bailed out by the spanish government because yeah it's the these, government's money
3: yeah they've
2: always had these dodgy deals where they've like bought a plot of land and then sold it to the spanish government oh, yeah, for, like,
1: i mean they've had pretty historic ties with the government in terms of like they were franco's team so they got just yeah. the, the best of
3: everything. And also, Barcelona always famously gets screwed over because they're part of a separatist territory. So there's always a bit of an FU from Madrid to Barcelona in that respect.
0: So I see, I heard they already made up the entire deficit because they went in heavy Wednesday on GameStop and then they sold it off Friday morning and just made the entire deficit back. They held the line. They no, they did not hold the line. <laughs> they played the system.
3: Which the I other part. Can... Hold on, I actually no, want I... to say the. Okay.
0: The other part of that contract that is astonishing to me was he had a hundred and fifteen million as a renewal fee for just accepting the contract. So, like a signing bonus, hundred and fifteen million euro signing bonus. That's insane. Just like think about that. I would take a hundred and fifteen dollars. And a signing
3: bonus. <laughs> I'd want a little bit more. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness,
2: I don't. I've never had a signing bonus. So exactly, take, that's what I mean. I would take right? one hundred and fifteen dollars. <laughs> I've had
3: a signing bonus once in a job. Wow. Well,
0: I had it actually. Impressive. I had a pretty good one. I had it when I signed for graduate school. Um, like the nutrition department gave me a two thousand dollars signing bonus, and then that night, when I signed the contract, we went out to the liquor store. And I bought $500 worth of alcohol for a party. And we just had a massive party with like all these different bottles and shots and stuff like that. It was awesome. It was one of the most fun days ever. Just going to a liquor store and spending as much as you want to spend. Furlong was with me. Like we were just grabbing bottles. Like What about this one? It's like, yeah, throw it in. Whatever. I don't care.
2: (laughs) So basically, Frank, you have just explained perfectly how athletes go bankrupt.
0: Yep. Yeah. You've, except, you've... except, mine was two thousand. I think if you gave me one hundred and fifteen million, there's not enough alcohol in the world that I could but buy.
2: There's, there's enough stupid things you could buy, though.
0: <laughs> Instead of just buying a bottle, I'm buying the company. Yeah. I can't
1: decide if I want this Lamborghini in black or green, so I will have both.
2: Yes, and then I'll sm- <laughs> and then I'll crash them into each other so they're both black and green. Problem <laughs> solved. <salt. laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, Yeah, but Frank, I guess, talking about both uh, Barcelona's investment they should have made into GameStop and your own financial performance, uh, do you have an update from the last episode on what your GameStop situation currently is? GameStop situation is not looking good. So So you're still in?
0: I'm still in. I am not in as much as I was, but they are now down to 180 after hours. It has dropped significantly, so it could be the end of GameStop. I think the line is not being held
3: anymore. <laughs> well, after hours isn't really the thing; uh, it doesn't really guide it that much. Well, it was down thirty uh, percent today. Is
0: that better, Sam? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Speaking,
3: Let's talk about the thing. I will say
2: you're you're right, Sam. That after hours. Doesn't matter as much, but and it could recover in during the after-hours period or the pre-market period, but it still needs to recover another nineteen point five six percent before it gets <laughs> yeah. back
3: to just where it
2: was at the, the end of the day.
3: That the squeeze will happen at some point. You got to hold the line. The squeeze will happen.
2: They are not holding the line. Someone's
0: not. But yeah, it's it's not looking good for for the Wall Street bets community.
3: Those slimy hedge funds, they'll always win.
2: Well, or more to the point, it turns turns out that severely overrated uh, stocks are not the thing to be holding on to for long periods of time to go oh this this share has increased by over a thousand percent in the past couple of months i guess i should buy it and hold on to it and hope that this meteoric rise continues and i'm not downplaying it right because it's all about timing and and stuff but it's it's highly unlikely that it bounces back to the levels it was at
0: yeah no i think they're done
2: but it was fun right it's gonna be I think it's always unique. We're going to be able to speak about, Hey, remember that time the internet decided to try and take down wall street? Like there is going to be, that will be one week that you'll remember for the rest of your life, your life. Or I mean, Frank won't cause of the CTE, but the rest of us will. Frank, we, Frank will be I don't like, remember what we're talking about. Frank will be like, I don't remember anything. GameStop, I have no idea what that is, but I do have this quote from a like Jack Nicholson movie from 1986 that I'd love to share with you.
3: <laughs> oh, do you remember that Baker Mayfield advert?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think he was selling video games out of this one place, but
3: I can't remember what yeah. it was called. But <laughs> man, it, man, it was funny. They used to have loads of stock of games, but I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. I used
1: to end my journey there. But... <laughs>
3: so um jake whilst you're here i wanted to get some takes from you on the kind of remaining sporting things that we've got going and this may serve as potentially the first um, gambit of a super bowl prediction but jake i wanted to get your prediction on the premier league the way you see it at the moment like who's who's winning the premier league
1: I, I see City just picking up more points than anyone at this point. I think Liverpool will recover, but I expect Liverpool will finish you know in the top three. Um, I think it's just a case of either United finishing second or third, possibly fourth if they have a bit of a slump again. But then no one else is playing with enough consistency to guarantee that they'll definitely overhaul United. Obviously, Leicester just lost again. Um, you know, you yes, have we to expect West Ham will drop down to sort of seventh, I think, by the end of the season, something like that. They're playing well, but. They will just lose games. Um, I think at this point, I mean it's entirely possible that City go through another slump themselves, if particularly if there's like another delay to the Premier League or there's fixture congestion later on. But they've obviously got the squad to cope with that better than most. Um so I think it's City's to lose at this point.
3: Yeah, I mean, for I sure that plays as, the best as for a them. United
1: fan, my hopes for the start of the season were a comfortable top three finish and looking like winning the league was not an outrageous possibility within a few years and I think United are on track for that.
2: I guess we'll get a United fans perspective then on the podcast for the first time what do you think in terms of players they need to add not specifically like the The, player but who what kind of what type of player do you think they need to add?
1: Well they need another person another sort of attacking player who can basically give Bruno Fernandes a break because basically their form sees the coincide, side go up and down with his level of fatigue. Um, he's still massively influential for the team. Like, I wouldn't go as far as to say they're a one-man team, but here's the difference between them maybe scraping into the Champions League and actually finishing quite comfortably in the top three. Like, that is clear at this point. I'm still not convinced by a collection of centre-backs. I think Harry Maguire could be fine with the right person next to him. Um I but I like by Baye, but he just cannot stay fit, so there's no point in trying to rely on him. Um and Lindelof again has good runs of form, but then can just look utterly lost for a game and it can cost you like two goals before he sort of finds his feet. Um Luke Shaw has had a bit of a turnaround again, but again, how long does that last? Alexis Telles has been he's got Alexis Telles has got good delivery, um, but positionally he seems a bit
3: weak. Uh, Wamba Saka again, pretty ropey going forward at times.
1: So I think a fullback, another fullback for sure, and another attacking midfielder, possibly a wide, a proper wide player as well, rather than using someone who's basically wide, even if they're not actually a wide player.
3: What about um, Martial? I've seen a lot of Manu message boards light I've been, up with his. I've been
1: dis- it's been disappointing this season for sure. It felt like after the restart, all this, you know, this last sort of twelve months, he'd really turned a corner and become the sort of player they needed. But he has once again hit um, just a sort of bout of low. I don't want to call it low effort, but low um, impact, and. He sort of doesn't look like he's busting a gut to turn it around. Like Timo Werner's struggling, but he seems to be really trying to make it happen. He's like, he's like a sort of um, a less enthusiastic Timo Werner at the moment, and it's not very helpful. I think United need to find a strike because Cavani's made a big difference, but he's not a long-term solution. Um so I mean again, I don't know who in world football's available and can be, you know, as an instant sort of guarantee, you know probable success in the position and it depends how United want to play because they need a front to goal striker. They had one but they kept using him, they tried to turn him into Drogba or Costa um, in Lukaku. I mean, I, I don't know that he was entirely rival enough but he was probably a better option. An out-of-form Lukaku was probably still better than out-of-form Martial. Um, but he, you know, Mourinho tried to use him as a sort of pivot man to play off of, and that's not how he plays, even though he's a big guy. It's just an assumption. He was always better going at goal rather than receiving the ball and trying to play other people in. So that's my thoughts are probably a striker, but you could even get away with that a bit if you had another person like Bruno Fernandes, or something not exactly like him, but just someone else to give them another attacking option and a centre-back and probably a full-back.
2: Yeah, it's a weird one because they obviously do need a goal scorer, like a true out-and-out goal scorer, but it just seems odd to say that because they do seem to have players who you'd think could figure it out so that they turn into that player, but it's just not going to happen. So it does seem like they're crying out for Not a traditional centre forward, but something resembling like a better version of what they need someone who's
1: going, they don't need a a 30-goal-a-season man, they need a a 20-goal-a-season man to complement the sort of 15-goal-a-season people that Rashford and, I mean, maybe it's Greenwood later in life, but right now you can't expect it of him. But like people like Rashford, I think most of his career, particularly if he's obviously playing out wide, you can expect him to get about 15 league goals a season. And that on its own is obviously not enough to win the league. You need like three people delivering that and a more reliable person getting 20-25. And then just hope the rest of the squad chip in with the other one here and there. I mean, that's what City have got now, is they've got like six players who can deliver 15 goals a season, so it's um, they can get away with the of being on the down slope or being injured all the time. I mean, it's taken them a while to work it out, but they are now... Their goals are well spread across the team, which makes them really hard to shut down.
2: But yeah, I guess if that's it, then I'll say thanks, Jake, for joining us. We'll see if your Six Nations predictions come true.
1: Yeah, if they don't, I'll never come on again. That's fine.
3: Uh, thanks for <laughs> oh, <rugby. laughs> oh, you'll never come on again anyway. <laughs> 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 no, been good fun. Thanks for your yeah, rugby insights.
0: Yeah, uh, I got one Lead up. I heard today. Question. We can lead up into the Super Bowl before we leave. Only. So how do I phrase this? Who who are the two teams that have played each other three times in the Super Bowl?
1: Is it the Bills?
0: Played each other. So two teams. I'm going to go Steelers. No. Ooh, Steelers is one.
3: I'm going to go Steelers.
0: Who have they played three times? None of the games are recent. Green Bay? No. Cowboys? Cowboys. Green Bay was a good guess because that's also NFC. But yeah, Steelers-Cowboys have met three times in the Super Bowl. 10, 13, and 30.
2: And there's two others that have have also... Oh, that's the only two. Te- okay.
0: It's the only two teams that have met three times. There's been a bunch that have met twice.
3: Can't see that one happening for a long time again, so it'll stay at three for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. actually, I well, guess... To- well, I'll save this one, actually, for Thursday.
2: Okay. Ooh, might-
0: Ooh look at that. that. Ooh. A little cliffhanger. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's a great question. So for anyone listening, make sure you tune, tune in to Thursday.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Jake, for joining us. I'm going with your one through six. So I hope France wins six. So it's going to be an
3: Italy shocker in the Six Nations.
0: (laughs) Wait, didn't didn't he pick Italy first? (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you boys later.